The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We arrive at Christmas Eve, and I must confess, I'm ready for a holiday. It's a difficult world in which to find wonder at the time of Christmas. The days are dark, the pace has been hectic, and the world is full of clamor and noise, anxiety and troubles, and any brief moment of quiet seems quickly filled by a needless bit of controversy. For instance, I was listening to a decent podcast about current events a couple of weeks back, and after a survey of various topics, it ended with a brief discussion of the elf on the shelf. Now that became a craze after our boys were older, but each night the elf moves from one place in the house to another, and then any little ones in the house will spend time running around in the morning in search of his new vantage point. And it is a vantage point because the elf is on a mission. He's the eyes for the big guy up north, 
checking on the behavior of the youngsters in the days before Christmas, measuring levels of naughty and niceness while the workshop is boxing up cool stuff and coal stuff. Anyways, on this podcast, one contributor talked about his kids' delight and how for the month of December they are actually excited to get out of bed in the morning and go and look for the mischievous spy. Another participant, however, fretted that things like this are training our children to accept living in a surveillance culture. Conversations like this are why we cannot have nice, warm, fuzzy, and festive things. On the other hand, and don't worry parents, I choose my words carefully here, the surveillance culture has been a part of Christmas tradition for a long time, as a lot of celebration is built around an all-knowing big guy who monitors your behavior when you're conscious and unconscious, fixes a grade for your conduct, and then rewards you accordingly when he comes again. And if that's what Christmas is all about, my friends, you are in deep, deep trouble. In fact, the holiday doesn't even make sense. We are speaking of the Lord, of course. He is the one true all-knowing God who does more than see you when you slumber, for he knows the content of your dreams. And if he knows that, then he also knows the workings of your mind in the conscious and the subconscious levels, including the thoughts you work very hard to keep to yourself. He sees you when you're going about your day's activities, when you're trying to be nice, when you're pretending to be nice, when you're just downright done with people, and when you're hiding away to be awful. He knows all this about you better than you know yourself. And he's making a list. Your deeds follow you. He knows if you've been good or bad, and you've got quite a resume going for you. That's why Judgment Day is such a terrifying thing. If that's why we gather here, then, like I said, this holiday doesn't even make sense. The Lord has been omniscient from eternity, so there's no need for him to become flesh in order to know all things. If our faith is all about God watching our behavior and assigning us a grade, there's no need for Christmas, or Easter for that matter. And you're in big trouble. But God has come down. Christ is born of Mary. The word has become flesh to dwell among us that we might see his glory. The almighty, all-knowing creator of heaven and earth, he's wrapped up tight in swaddling clothes. And he is sustaining the universe while he tries to figure out what those fingers on the ends of his holy arms do. He's going to be a great kid. He's going to be holy and perfect the whole time he grows up. Just imagine a three-year-old toddler without sin. I sometimes joke that I feel bad for, say, James, the brother of Jesus. Imagine him growing up and doing some little misbehavior like a normal child does. And an exasperated Joseph or Mary says... Why can't you be more like your big brother? To which James might honestly reply, Because I'm not the holy son of the Most High, begotten of the Father from eternity. To which a frazzled dad might say, Enough of your lip, go to your room. 
Well, as long as this sermon has gone in that direction, I might as well ask you, why can't you be more like Jesus? You ought to know how to be. After all, he became flesh and lived a perfect life, so you have more than just rules to guide you. You have Jesus in the flesh example of how you're supposed to be doing it. Keep the commandments, resist temptation, serve and sacrifice, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Bear the fruits of the Spirit. Be patient. Suffer well. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But even when you're trying to be good, you still can't be like Jesus. You do some good things, but, you know, often when you're tempted, the truth is that your achievement is that you didn't sin as much as you could have. In fact, even when you're trying to be good, you still resent that you're supposed to be. Being good and doing good, they are tough and tiring things because they don't come naturally to you. They did, however, come naturally to Jesus. So, if Jesus came to set the example and show you the way, you're in even bigger trouble. You obviously know what to do. He's even gone to the effort to become man to demonstrate what to do. And you're still not doing it. So, if the reason for Christmas is that Jesus came to set the example, you are not on the nice list. In heaven, actually, it's not called the nice list. It's called the book of life. If your name isn't written in there, you have good reason to be afraid. However, when the angel appears to the shepherds, the angel says, Fear not. Fear not, says the angel, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Do not be afraid. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not... Unto you is born your personal HR director who will monitor your behavior and make sure you behave or else. Not unto you is born a butler who will train you to help you stop acting like, well, you. And not unto you is born a life coach who will help you live better so that you die later, but remember, no pain, no gain. No, unto you is born this day a savior. He isn't born to tell you what to do. You've had Moses to do that for centuries, and it hasn't worked. And anyway, when this Savior tells you what to do, he's usually repeating Moses anyway, nothing new. Of course, Moses was repeating him. Anyways, Jesus isn't born to tell you how to be your own Savior. He's born to be your Savior. And he's got what it takes to be your Savior because he's also the Christ. He's also the Messiah, which means that God has chosen him, anointed him, set him apart to save you from sin and death and devil. That is astonishingly good news. 
You're not on your own to escape the grave by following the example of a role model. You've got a Savior who is the Christ, appointed and anointed by the Lord himself. But this Christ isn't merely anointed by the Lord. This Christ is the Lord himself. There is no way he doesn't get the job of saving you done. It's still strange, unbelievably strange, that the Lord would be your Savior by becoming flesh like you. But again, he's born to be your Savior, to do the work of your salvation. And what does that require? The wages of sin is death, and the wages must be paid. God's just decree must be satisfied, but you can't do it. You can't pay with your death and live. And you certainly can't live perfectly so that no wages need be paid. So the only begotten Son of God becomes flesh, swaddled in that manger to be your Savior. He's going to grow up, and he's going to make his way to the cross to save you. You see why he's born, don't you? It's not that the Holy Son of God doesn't see what you're doing or grades on a curve or winks and lets it go. He can't because he's the Holy Son of God. So instead, to be your Savior, he sheds his blood to atone for your sin. Because he's born man, he can die in your place. Because he's still fully God, he can die for all. So if at Christmas time you're looking for the HR director, the butler, or the life coach, you're looking in the wrong place if you've come to Bethlehem for that. You might try them all. But none of those can be the Savior because they can't turn back time and let you undo what you've done. They can't keep you from doing wrong in the future. And they certainly can't raise you from the dead. The Savior you want is the one who washes you clean with his own blood. So that whether it's now or at two in the morning or on your deathbed or standing before God on the last day, you know with confidence that God sees no sin in you because Christ the Lord has taken it away. That's the one in the manger. That's the one who gathers you to himself with shepherds and sinners. And once he's cleansed you and made you his, you end up making him known and doing good as you wait for his return because there is no better gift to be received. If that's what you're looking for, then fear not. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.